Our reading is from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, verses 17 to 23. As Nick said, uh, Solomon must have been having a bad day when he wrote this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had told for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows where that person will be wise or foolish? Yet they will have control over all the toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For people may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to others who have not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. All right. Well, thank you, Peter, um, for warming the crowd up for me with that uh, encouraging word uh, from God's scriptures. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're continuing our, our, our faithful series, uh, continuing to explore what it means to be faithful to the Lord, to God, uh, with our, our resources, with what He's entrusted with us. So I'm going to pray uh, and then we're going to uh, begin our journey uh, this morning uh, in further into that. So pray with me. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouraging bits. We thank you for the sobering bits. And we thank you for the challenging bits. We thank you for every part of your word uh, this morning. And so we pray as we come to your word that we don't, uh, as James talks about, come to it and go away unchanged or untransformed by it. We pray that your spirit is with us this morning. Um, bringing to life God's Word as we uh, jump into it this morning. I pray that you'd speak truth to us deeper than any words that I can express verbally by the power of your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. So we've been exploring what it means to be faithful to God and we begin uh, again this week with this same verse and this is kind of the, the foundational verse of this whole series of what it means to be faithful to God. We begin with this understanding from Psalm 24 verse 1 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So we, we begin with this understanding that everything belongs to the Lord. Everything that I have, everything that I am belongs to God. So it's not about how much of what I own do I give back to God in these different areas we're talking about. It's, it's how do I steward that which is entrusted to me that belongs entirely to God. And so we began with that foundational understanding. And last week we spoke about money and possessions. But this week we're going to talk about what I think is perhaps our most valuable possession. And that's our time and our energy. So we can always make more money. Okay, sometimes it's harder than others, but there's always more money to be made. But we never can get more time. We each are allocated the exact, and I'm not talking about lifetime here, I'm talking about in a day, in a week, every single person on the face of this planet gets the same allocation of time. You get 24 hours a day. No one gets an extra hour a day except for at daylight savings time and then you have to give it back a few months later anyway. 24 hours a day, seven days a week is all we get. It's the most limited resource, the most finite resource we have every week is time. 
And, and so today we're going to be talking about stewarding our time faithfully, but we're also going to talk about our energy, stewarding our capacity. And so that's why we jumped out of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning, is because our, our time and energy, another word we could put there is toil, effort, our physical capacities. We're going to be talking about how we steward that, our most valuable resource. See, our time is finite. Everyone gets 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, but our energy isn't necessarily exactly evenly portioned out. Some people have more energy than others. Some people have seamless, seemingly boundless energy. Typically, the three-year-olds uh, seem to have boundless energy. But some adults seem to have so much more energy than others, and some have less. And so this morning, it's not about... Uh, again, as we come to God's Word, it's not about, well, I don't have enough energy to serve. It's about uh, embracing what Jesus said about being faithful with what you do have. And so this morning, we all have the same amount of time with which to be faithful with. Some of us have more energy than others. But I want to encourage you as we begin to not think, well, I don't have much energy. I've been sick or I just seem to be one of those people that needs to sleep 23 hours a day. I want you to think about, well, let's explore what it means to be faithful with what you do have and so i believe that promise of jesus that those who are faithful with little will be set over much isn't just about finances it's about every area of our life and so i want to encourage you even if you only have a little bit of energy with which to be faithful to seek to be faithful with that and so we're exploring this question this morning what does it mean to be faithful stewards of the time and energy or toil God has, in, or the ability to toil, I should say, the time and energy God has entrusted to us. What does it mean to be faithful with that? And so I want to begin here with, with taking stock of, of what consumes our time and energy. So last week we did speak about money and, and possessions, and, and most of us, whether we're good budgeters or not, have at least some sense of where our money's going. We have at least some sense on what we're spending our money on and if we don't have enough money left, we, we at least have some sense of, of where it all went or if we've got lots of money left, we, we, we know why because we've set it aside and saved. So we all have at least some sense of how much money's coming in and how much is going out but, but less often do we keep an account of what consumes our time and energy. We might often say, I don't have enough time or I just don't have enough energy but we, but we don't actually go the next step that we would with money or we should with money and go, well, if I don't have enough money, why not? Where's it all going? So we often say, well, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough energy, but, but we don't take the next step with time and energy and go, well, where is it all going? And so what I want to begin with is encouraging you to, to take a moment this morning and as we go through the week to come to think about a stock take of your time and energy expenditure. Where is all of your time and energy going? Or to put it in the words of uh, another passage from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, which flows out of this, kind of, this, this passage that uh, Solomon, as, as Peter said, is probably having a bad day in Ecclesiastes 2, where he talks about and, you know, the, the meaningless of toil. And, and it's meaningless if our aim in all this toil is just to amass stuff for us. And he goes on and is exploring this idea of energy expenditure, of time expenditure, and, and what the whole point of it is. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, continuing on this theme, he says, he says this, he says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, yet there was no end to his toil. 
Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. And so Solomon looked out, not on his own life, just his own life, but on the life of others. And he, and he saw that we burn ourselves to the ground. We consume all of our toil, all of our time and energy. And, and, and Solomon has this witnessing, this man have this moment of reflection and essentially going, well, what is the point? I don't have sons or brothers. I don't have anyone even to leave it to. Who am I toiling for? And, and so you might have children, you might have people to leave what you gather in this life to, but the question still stands. This, this, this question that this man comes to in the midst of his, his toil and discontent to ask ourselves, to take stock, to ask ourselves, for whom am I toiling? What is the goal? What is the aim? What is the purpose of the things that you spend all your time and energy on? For what or for whom are you toiling? A few verses earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4, Solomon gives one suggestion that drives a lot of human time and energy expenditure. He says, And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So for us, in Western culture, I can't speak to Eastern cultures, to other cultures other than the one I live in, because uh, I don't understand them well enough. But in Western culture, this, this verse is still true. So much of our time and energy expenditure is driven by envy of our neighbor, uh, by envy or a desire to, and uh, we talked about last week in finances, money and possessions, keeping up with the Joneses, so much of our time and energy expenditure is just trying to keep up with what everyone else is doing, with what everyone else has. Your kids do gymnastics 17 times a week. Well, my kids should probably do it 18 times a week. Your kids are involved in 17 activities. Mine will be involved in 18. You get up and go to the gym 14 days a week. Well, I'm going to do 15 and I'm going to work 70 hours when you only work 60. It's all... It's, there's, there's this drive within us that wants to best our neighbor to spend more time and energy to kind of just be a little bit better or at least try and keep up with those around us. I remember reading an article that talked about uh, and it gathered together all these experts in different fields, experts in fitness, experts in sleep, experts in kind of work and, and, and experts in you know eating and they pulled together all the hours a day that you would need to spend in each of these areas um, to meet the, the recommendations of the experts, um, to live a healthy life eating-wise, exercise-wise, work-wise, you know, sleep-wise. And you would need to spend about 40 hours a day to be healthy in every area. It's all about trying to keep up, be driven to spend time and energy that's beyond what we have. And so this morning... I want to acknowledge that some of us don't have as much energy as, as others, but I want to break off the lie that you don't have enough time. You have enough time for everything God is calling you to do. 
There's one time in history I'm aware of where a, a man, in fact, a nation needed more time than 24 hours in a day and God gave it to them. The sun stood still in the sky while Joshua and his armies of Israel conquered the enemy once. Every other time, God has deemed 24 hours enough time to accomplish what He's called us to accomplish. And so if we don't have enough time, it could be one of two things. We're trying to accomplish things that God has never called us to accomplish or we're simply just spending time on things that are toiling for the wrong purposes. So this morning, I I want you to begin as I'm talking, and hopefully you're already thinking about the question, for what purpose are you expending the most valuable resource entrusted to you? It's not money, it's your time and energy. For what purpose are you spending your time and energy? And as we think about that, I, I want to encourage you, I want to suggest to you this morning that, that you're, you're called to become a living sacrifice. To use the, the, the biblical phrase from Romans 12.1, that, that we're actually called to become a sacrifice in every area of our life, including time and energy, to the Lord. So, so Romans 12.1 says this, for, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, says the Apostle Paul. And so Paul says, in view of God's mercy, he's saying, in response to all that God has done for you. In response to God's creating of the universe. In response to God's creating of you. In response to God's providing for you. In response to God's sending His Son to die on a cross for you. To be raised to new life for you so that death has no hold on you. In response to all of that, Paul says, I urge you to become living sacrifices. I I love the the few verses before Romans 12.1 and and sometimes you wish the chapter breaks weren't there as helpful as they are for us to find verses. Uh, In the the verses before Romans 12.1, Paul says this, beginning at chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you. So Paul says, For from Him are all things. All things come from Him, as we've been talking about. And through Him, all things come to us through Him. And to Him, all things are due to Him. In response to that, in response to His mercy, in response to the truth that everything we have comes from God, everything we have belongs to God, everything we have is to be given to God and to be stewarded faithfully for His purpose. In response to that, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And so the Greek word for bodies here is, is, a, uh, is a literal reference to our bodies, but it's used metaphorically to speak of our whole person and especially our physical capacities. And there's no better way of kind of uh, putting in currency, in a sense, our, our physical capacity expenditure than thinking about our time and energy. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your time and your energy as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And Paul says, this is your true and proper worship. And the Greek word there is logiken, which is apparently, for people who do interpret Greek, uh, notoriously difficult to interpret because it means so many things um, that it's hard to narrow it down to, to one word. And, and so this word logican kind of means spiritual. And so some, in some translations, the, 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 the translation will go with that word and say, this is your spiritual worship, which, which is trying to say that, that giving your time and energy, your whole body to God as a living sacrifice is your spiritual worship. It's your authentic worship of God. And so it means that, but it also means your rational, your reasonable worship. It, it means that this is your proper, appropriate response to God. The only logical, which logican, it's where we get our word logical from, that this kind of worship, this offering of yourself to God as a living sacrifice is the only rational, reasonable response to all that God has done for you. And so the translation that the latest version, the NIV, has come up with true and proper kind of captures that. It's, it's true worship. It's spiritual worship. It's not just about singing songs, though. That's part of our worship. It's not just about giving money. It's about giving everything that you have, every minute of your life and every ounce of energy that you have to God is, is true worship. But it's also a proper response, a rational response. In fact, any other response is irrational. Any other response to all of God's mercy, all that is done to the knowledge that everything is His and belongs to Him and is due to Him, any other response than giving everything that you have for Him and for His name is irrational and illogical. So in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And, and so what does it mean to offer all of our time and energy as a li living sacrifice to God? What does that mean in practice? Throughout this series, that's been our focus, is not just kind of thinking theologically, but thinking about what, what does it actually mean in a practical sense to faithfully steward what we've been given by God? Does it mean that we should all be pastors? Does it mean that we should all be missionaries? Does it mean that we should spend 24-7 in the church building like Carl does? Does it mean that, that everything we should do should be kind of overtly church Christian related? Well, hopefully in the way that I've asked those questions you're picking up that the answer to that is no. And so what I want to give this morning is just three key principles, three kind of key foundations to think about what it actually means because the truth remains that, that the appropriate logical response to all God has done for us is to give every minute of our life in faithful worship 
faithfully stewarding every minute of our life for Him and for His purposes. Our, our logical response to God is for every ounce of energy that we have to be used faithfully for God. And so I want to give three key principles about what that means in practice. And the first of these is a, a phrase I shared um, in testimony time is that we should seek first the kingdom of God. With our time and energy, we should seek first the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, um, Jesus says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so Jesus says that our priority is to seek first the kingdom of God. And so that speaks to every area of our life, but I want to apply that this morning to our time and energy. So if we do a stock take of what we spend our time and energy on, ideally, if we're being faithful to that, it should show a clear priority for the things of God's kingdom. The first fruits of our finances we're called to give to God, but I also believe our, the first fruits of your time, the first fruits of your energy, the first fruits of my time, the first fruits of my energy should be given in seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and so in this space, I, I'm talking about overtly, I am talking about, not that we should all be pastors, but I am talking about those overtly kingdom-related things. Those overtly God's kingdom advancing things. Not as an afterthought, but as the first thought. I'm talking about serving others. I'm talking about caring for the poor and needy. I'm talking about overt worship, not just, just the quiet worship of our heart, though that's valuable. I'm talking about open, overt worship. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about mission and evangelism. I'm talking about time spent in God's Word. I'm talking about gathering together with the church. These things should be our first priority when we come to divvy out our time and energy. Seeking first the kingdom of God. These things should be our first thought, not our afterthought. That doesn't mean they have to be the first thing we do in the day, though I've found that personally helpful in my life, and many others have as well. It doesn't mean that they have to be the first thing in the day, but it does mean that we give our best time and our best energy to the kingdom of God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. So faithful stewards spend their time and energy in ways that prioritize the kingdom of God. And Jesus' words point us towards a priority for the kingdom of God over and above not just luxuries. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about having a Ferrari, but seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about having the biggest house in your street or, or, or the biggest, you know, whatever, the shiniest whatever, okay, as we talked about last week, part of stewarding our finances well is, is being able to enjoy what God's given us. So I'm not saying those things are wrong or bad to have and if you do have a Ferrari, God would have you let me drive it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what I am saying though is that Jesus does say that we should seek the kingdom before even the basic necessities of life. Our time and energy should be prioritized towards God's kingdom before 
we think about what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? And in a modern Western financial context, and how am I going to pay for those things? Seek first the kingdom of God with your time and energy. The second principle I want to give you this morning is that whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. And so, regardless of Solomon's attitude towards work, work is part of our created order. The the issue with Solomon was that the goal is not to build up wealth for ourselves in this life. If that's our focus, that's meaningless. But work is part of our created purpose even before the fall. So the fall, when, when, when men and women chose sin over faithfulness to God... Our work was frustrated in this world. Believe it, not that the drought is God's direct response to sin, but, but the brokenness of this world, that there are things like floods and droughts, that our work is frustrated, is part of the fallenness of this world. But work and our, our purpose for work came before the fall. The Lord God took man in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So when we began this series, we focused on the take care of it bit and we said that part of our purpose is stewardship of God's creation, but, but part of our purpose is to work. And so for those of us that have the ideal, and I confess to this, this is, this is a false ideal that I have in my life, that just this one day where I'll have to do nothing, that there'll be no work left for Nick, that Nick can just sit around and do nothing, this is not a godly ideal that we're called to work. doesn't mean we can't retire and do different things and, and, and work. And um, some of the people in this church who are retired, I know, work harder than those who have jobs. And so it's not about staying in a particular career. But part of your purpose is to work. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor or a missionary or spend 24-7 in the church. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this to the church in Colossae. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whatever you do, whether you're a school teacher, uh, a cafe manager, a, you know, a bricklayer, a occupational therapist, a shopkeeper, an expert of many things, you're an engineer, uh, sorry if I've missed your job, but if you're a butcher, I saw Aaron smiling at the back there. Um, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Because when you do your job, whatever it is in the name of the Lord, this is living as a living sacrifice. See, I'm called to be a pastor, I believe that firmly. And, it, and it's easy for me to think about doing my job in the name of the Lord. I've got it easy. But your calling to whatever you do is no less spiritual or meaningful or purposeful than mine. And so whatever you do to be a faithful steward of your time and energy, do it in the name of the Lord. And if you struggle with that concept, I encourage you to wake up in the mornings when you're heading off for work, whatever your job is, and go, I'm going to teach these kids this morning and this afternoon. I'm going to teach them in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean, well, you can at your school, John, because it's a Christian school, but that doesn't mean you have to say, kids, I'm teaching you in the name of Jesus this morning. But it does mean that when you arrive at work, when you arrive at the prison um, to, to care for those people there that are spending some time out, 
um, that you know that you're doing it in Jesus' name, that that is what you're there for. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. This, this whatever or the, the everything here in the original Greek means everything as a whole, but the word actually means every little, bit of, every little part of it as well. It's not just a blanket term, it's, it's an every little part of it. So it's not just, I'm going to teach kids today in the name of the Lord. It's every little thing that I do within that, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. And so to be faithful stewards of our, of our time and energy, we, we do everything in the name of Jesus. A little bit further down in Colossians chapter 3, Paul takes this idea even further and he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I left the the verse before this off um, for two reasons. One, to fit it on a slide. Um, But for the other reason, because we're not living in that context. Paul actually wrote this to slaves. Paul said to slaves those who were owned and oppressed by others in the Roman context, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And so I mention that to say, you might think you've got a bad boss. You might think that your working circumstances are not great. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek to improve them. And and Paul's not saying to slaves here, he says elsewhere, if you have an opportunity to gain your freedom, do it. He says, while you're in that situation, while you're in your current work environment, as good as bad as it feels, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, with all your enthusiasm as working for the Lord, not human masters. Whoever your boss is, whoever you answer to, in a human sense, do your job with everything you have for as long as you have that job because it's the Lord Christ, it's Jesus that you are serving. There's an often quoted phrase uh, from uh, either John Luther or Mount, uh, John Luther. Martin Luther or Calvin. I've muddled it up in my head this morning, but the point is that it's often quoted, but I, in my research to find where it came from, found that um, he probably didn't actually say it. Uh, but there's this often quoted phrase, and whether he said it or not, it's true that the, the Christian bootmaker doesn't just glorify, doesn't glorify God by putting little crosses uh, on all of the boots that he makes. He glorifies God by making the best boots that he can. And so whether it's true or not that one of the reformers said that, the truth remains that we glorify God not just in the overtly Christian and spiritual and church-related, but we glorify God by doing our jobs, whatever they are, to the best of our ability. So whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Teach unto the Lord, clean unto the Lord. Cut meat unto the Lord, heal people's feet unto the Lord, be a prison officer unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. 
So seek first the kingdom of God. Whatever you do, do it under the Lord. And the third principle I want to give you this morning about faithfully stewarding your time and energy is to embrace rest as an act. Sorry, to embrace rest and play as an act of faithful stewardship. So we seek first the kingdom of God with all our might. We do whatever we're called to do with all of our heart because we're doing it not for our human bosses but for God for the Lord, for Jesus, but we also embrace rest and play as an act of faithful stewardship. In Exodus 23, uh, verse 12, it says, Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave, we're on the other side of the equation now, born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. I just want to grab that word slave for a moment because that's shocking for some people to to hear God talking to His people about having slaves and uh, it's not so much to do with this morning's sermon but but the idea of slavery was was universal in ancient times uh, and and God uh, spoke to His people about slavery and so the idea of slavery within Israel was more akin to being uh, an indentured servant for a limited period of time uh, and God called His people to care for those in that position in the same way they would any other member of their household. And, and so this is one of, the, one of the, the, the outworkings of that, that six days we do our work, but on the seventh day we don't. So that not just we might be refreshed, so that our ox and donkey may rest, and so that our slaves may rest because they're people, they're not just property, well they're not property, they're people, and that your household... And the foreigners, everyone around you, may be refreshed. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day, don't. And now, often we point to Jesus' words uh, in the New Testament that when he was criticized for doing the work of healing on the Sabbath, he spoke to those who were criticizing him and said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That, that this idea of rest had become something not restful in the community of Israel. It had become a, a, a set of laws that must be followed, that there were strict rules about how far you could walk or, or what you could and couldn't do. And, and it had become not a restful thing, but a burden. And so we, we, we embrace Jesus' words and go, well, we don't have to be legalistic about it, but the problem for the church today is that, and the problem for Christians today, is that we seem to completely ignore the idea altogether. God created us, and in His wisdom, our young people are on the hunt for wisdom, part of God's wisdom is to say to us, six days, work. Works part of your purpose, works part of what you were created for, but on the seventh, don't. It's actually unfaithful stewardship of your time and energy if you don't embrace rest. Throughout uh, the Old Testament, there's given several different reasons for why we have this um, seventh day of rest. One of them is that we indeed aren't slaves. He says to his people Israel, he says, work six days, rest on the seventh, for you were slaves in Egypt. That This idea that that in Egypt there was no rest for them, that they had an unhealthy pattern of life in Egypt. They were forced to work every day. And so as a reminder that that's not who we are, we're called to work, but we're not called to be slaves. God says to his people, rest for a day a week 
as a reminder that you're not slaves. God also says here that, that rest is a part of physical restoration. It's about a physical rejuvenation of our time and energy. If we have limited energies, often the case is that we just haven't had that rest. That we've worn down our reserves to the point where there's not much there to give. But the other reason that God gives in the Old Testament for this seventh day of rest is because He rested. We're told in Genesis that six days God created, on the seventh day He rests, which tells me there's something deeper about this seventh day of rest than just restoring our physical capacities. Because I don't believe that God was exhausted after six days of creating. Whether that means literal days or ages, that's not the debate I'm entering in this morning, but... But we're told that God rested. And my belief isn't that was because He was just tired. There's something deeper. If we're created in the image of God, there's something deeper about the core of who we are that we need to embrace about resting if God rested yet does not grow weary. And so we... Embrace rest and play. The Sabbath was about enjoying life, about worship. And so we embrace rest and play as an act of faithful stewardship. And so as I've already said, not resting is being unfaithful to God. Jesus' words remind us that we don't need to be legalistic about the Sabbath. We don't need to have it on this day or that day. And we don't need to be uh, legalistic about how far are you allowed to walk on the Sabbath or are you allowed to go out of your house or are you allowed to go out of your yard or, or, or what, what physical things you can do on the Sabbath. We don't need to be legalistic about that. But Jesus said it was made for us. And so I want to encourage you this morning that to be a faithful steward of your time and energy involves seeking to have a 24-hour period in which you focus on rest and play. For some of us, that just seems so far beyond, like I spoke about giving last week and, and, and gave the idea of 10% as a guide. And for some of us, that seems so far beyond. And so I said, we'll start with a dollar and seek to grow in that grace of giving. If 24 hours devoted to rest and, and enjoyment of life and to, to, to prayer and playing and worship, if that seems so far beyond your current situation, start with an hour and build on it. If we want to be faithful stewards of the time and energy we're given, it involves embracing rest and play as an act, not just as a reward for a job well done. We don't just rest when we feel like we deserve it. We rest because God has told us to. We rest and play as an act of stewarding our time and energy. And this happens, this is a calling, even in the midst of the busiest seasons of our life. So the biggest lie that keeps me from resting is, I'll do that when things get a little bit easier. I'll do that when I've got a little bit more space, maybe when all our kids are at school or um, when Steve's recovered enough and he can preach some sermons again or I'll, I'll, I'll rest when it's less busy. But in Exodus thirty four twenty one, it says, Six days shall you labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and the harvest you must rest. 
Now, we may not be farmers, but hopefully we've got a, enough of a sense about agriculture to know that probably for a, for a crop farmer, the two busiest seasons in their entire life are the season of ploughing and preparing to sow the seed and the season of harvest. The, the, the two seasons where a farmer would, would most say, I'll rest when this job is done, God makes a point of saying to his people, even then you must rest. Because otherwise we've been unfaithful stewards of our time and energy. And so, to be faithful stewards of our time and energy, we're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to offer all of our time and all of our energy to God as an act of logical worship, as an act of true worship, as an act of spiritual worship. And we do this by prioritizing the kingdom of God above all else. That the things of the kingdom are our first thought when it comes to our calendar, when it comes to our energy levels, when it comes to expending toil. The things of the kingdom are our first priority, not an afterthought. But beyond that, it's not just about church, it's not just about worship, it's not just about prayer and mission and those overtly kingdom things. To be faithful stewards of our time and energy, it means being a living sacrifice who does everything unto the Lord. Everything in the name of the Lord. And it also means embracing rest and play as an act of faithful stewardship. So that last one is is the one where that should be the most fun. That should be the easiest thing as a preacher to convince you of. Have some rest and play. But in our culture, I believe it's the hardest. So I want to end with prayer, but I want to end with the question again that we began with. For whom are you toiling? For who or what or what are you spending your time and energy, especially if there's no space for rest and play in your life? What are you doing it for? And to what end? Let me pray and then let's acknowledge to whom our lives are due in song. I encourage you to pray with me. And we thank you, Father. for all that you've entrusted with, trusted to us. And we pray that just as we've prayed last week that you'd lead us to be faithful stewards of the money and possessions you've entrusted to us. I pray this week that you'd give us the grace to have a sober accounting of our time and energy. That we truly reflect on, on who what we're toiling for and give us the grace Father to seek first your kingdom give us the mindfulness to do everything in the name of Jesus and for the name of Jesus and give us the resolute desire Lord to be faithful to you in embracing rest and play 
as an act of faithful stewardship. Let's finish my prayer with this. To you, Father, we say, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments, Lord. How beyond tracing out are your paths. Who has known the mind of you, Lord? Or who has been your counsellor? Who of us has ever given to you, God, that we should repay you? So we say, for you and through you and to you are all things that we have in our care. And we pray to you be the glory forever and ever in and through our lives. In Jesus' name. You've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.